This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. No strings till the hank comes out. Make all the drunk girls scream and shout. We love it, we hate it. We're all just trying to make it in this crazy town. Welcome into the door report. It is episode 210 on a Monday night, March the 6th. We are powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, family owned and operated for more than two decades. Alaco Finewood Floors is Nashville and Middle Tennessee's choice for premium quality hardwood floors. Since 1995, Jimmy Alaco and his army of employees have embodied the approach of taking pride in one's craft and providing superior customer service, growing from a one-man shop to a team of 23 professionals who share the founder's passion for quality craftsmanship and customer satisfaction. If you're interested in contacting them, you can find their headquarters at 2505 Winford Avenue out in Bear Hill or give them a call at 615-356-0303 or log on to alacofinewoodfloors.com. Gentlemen, Will Byram, Trevor Hoolan, all present here tonight. I just, I continue to be more and more speechless. Like I, I'm losing brain cells as this run continues uh, for Vanderbilt, but we've got so much to get to. We're going to touch a little bit on the Vandy boys. Not too much. This is a big basketball pod, but we'll get to coach Stackhouse winning. <laughs> this is, this is even crazy to talk about co-coach of the year. Uh, Liam Robbins that not surprising here. Defense. You were on that last podcast, Billy. You were on, you that. were like yes. me and me and Trevor were kind of like, yeah, I, I wrote it off, you, but you were, yeah, we wrote you off. I, you were right. I want uh, you to take I, credit for that. And, but it's still funny that it happened though. Like that's the thing. Like, like Jerry Stackhouse is co-coach of the year. And, and, and I mean, credit I mean, to him, man. Congratulations. Yeah, um, he, he earned it. it. Yep. He, he deserved it. Uh, the fact that we're saying that, is crazy, uh, but it's awesome. And, and credit to this team and, and Stackhouse. Uh, they found a way uh, to get there and get to the point of the bubble. Next four out, even though Lenardi has kicked them out uh, <laughs> after not playing. We'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Vandy beats Mississippi State Saturday night, 77-72. We will recap that. Uh, we'll get to some fan comments and questions, and we'll we'll look into the SEC tournament, Vanderbilt's matchups, either Georgia or LSU on Thursday night, and then a potential Kentucky matchup, knock on wood, uh, if there's wood around you guys. But, guys, Will, I'll start with you. I, I got to ask, Trevor and I had a great time in Memorial Saturday night. I hope you had fun at the birthday party. Were you able <laughs> to watch most of that game? Yeah, I got back about two minutes left in the first half. I listened to the radio broadcast for the first time in a very long time on the drive back to my house. But we didn't even give predictions for that Mississippi State game because anytime we gave predictions, we were wrong. And I think that was perfect uh, going (laughs) into that game because everything about that game just felt kind of weird. Vanderbilt got dominated on the glass, Mm -hmm. but 
it kind mm-hmm. of felt like they were in control for a majority of the game, even though they were never trailed on the glass. And they finally, Studi got going. Mm-hmm. It felt like that offense, it was Jordan hot. Wright, Jordan Wright was hot again. And Lawrence was hot again. We talked about these guys being due. Miles Studi was due. I mean, he may yeah. be due for another game in the tournament as well. He was but- awesome. Yeah, Jordan Wright was awesome. It was awesome to see Jordan Wright close out his Vanderbilt career with two performances like that in the regular season. That was a guy that we'd been waiting on that, and it finally felt like he was in the rhythm of the game. He was just playing. It didn't feel like he was having to force things. You weren't seeing those slips and turnovers. So hopefully he can carry that over uh, into the SEC tournament. But unfortunately... I was not inside a memorial, Billy and Trevor. So you've, we you guys it. have got to give, yeah, you guys have got to give me a little insight as to what it was inside. Trev, uh, it was tell, like inside a memorial. Tell them about it, Trev. I, 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 I finally had the pleasure, and, and, and Will, we need to get you either in a basketball game or a football game or, or something, football, maybe even like one of Vanderbilt's like club rugby games. <laughs> um, and all three of us watch a, watch a ball game together, but. <laughs> I uh I had the opportunity to watch with uh with Billy and his and his brother Scott. Um I actually was two rows behind them, but some old guy took my spot. So I thought, <laughs> well, I'll take someone else's spot and sit by <laughs> Billy and Scott. But um the the vibes in memorial were Ooh. it was it was mind-boggling. It was <laughs> L was I mean zoo. Memorial had the juice. It was the we we talked about this in the spaces afterwards, but the student section, oh my god, they they were there forty minutes before the game, like hey, half capacity. Credit, literally, uh, I have done it. It literally everybody who's ever been a fan of Vanderbilt has crapped on the student showing in s- some form or fashion. They showed up and they showed up big and they were loud and it was absolutely awesome. They definitely made an impact. Um, Billy's right. They were there early and like the student section was packed like 45, 30 minutes before the game. Like I'd never see, I'd never seen the student section like that in all my life of attending Vanderbilt basketball games. It was, it was awesome. Um, the vibes of Memorial were crazy. Vanderbilt got a big win, um, a big win without Liam Robbins, a big win to where the guys who you needed to step up did. So great all-around team win. Um, obviously, you don't want to be dominated on the board as much as Vanderbilt was. That mm-hmm. is obviously problematic. But yeah, you had a lot of unsung heroes too. Like shout out to Emmanuel Ansong. We oh, were yeah. the whole game. Like he had a he he had a really good sort of like grinded out game. I thought he was awesome. He sort of I obviously Jordan and Miles and all those guys had great games, but Man, when Emmanuel Ansong was on the court, his defense was superb. He he really he's, made a difference. He guys, he's an SEC level athlete. Like if you just look at his athleticism, like that dunk early in the game that got the students up and the crowd into it. Like he made plays that really mattered in that game. Like he got a couple big rebounds. That dunk I thought was huge. And, and we've talked about athletes all the time. He's probably the best athlete like athleticism wise like jumping out of the gym type of guy for Vanderbilt but the fact that they have won without too many guys like that I mean Mississippi State they had like eight other Emmanuel Ansongs on the floor <laughs> like they were they had some freak athletes uh Math- Matthews was a guard he's like 6'6 230 pounds like the dude's massive so I just thought Ansong played well. Uh, there were so many guys that made big shots at big moments. Trey Thomas's three in the right wing mm-hmm. was huge. 
Mm-hmm. Well, they they just hit big shots that that you know there's yeah. there every time there was a shot Colin Smith's at the top of the key where okay you got to hit this to extend and they did they kept hitting those shots so we'll dive all into it guys we'll get to your comments and questions we'll get to an SEC tournament preview and we will talk about the net rankings and continue to harp on how ridiculous those are uh, we have we we've slept on Ken Pomeroy I don't I haven't looked at where Vanderbilt is in, in Ken Pomeroy right now but the net is what about- we're talking the same. about yeah, that's pretty nice to say. <laughs> rpi rip to the rpi because if vanderbilt was if the rpi mattered vandy is a lock right now and R- rip to rpi because it doesn't matter anymore but we'll get to all that before we do though don't forget to follow us on twitter at door underscore report and instagram door dot report like us on facebook subscribe to our youtube channel our podcast is available on anchor itunes spotify and google Podcasts. and while you're at it give our podcast five stars and review on itunes all right let's get to the breaking news before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever the stanley cup final on abc and espn plus begins saturday no matter what style you're going for you can trust your flooring job to a Laco fine wood floors Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, guys, we'll start with the Vanny boys real quick here. Uh, I know this isn't the talking point, but they are in season, so I feel like we got to throw them in here. Uh, had a good weekend. One, two out of three in Minneapolis, uh, eight and four on the season. They stay at number seven in D1 baseball's top 25. Lost to Nebraska five to three on Friday. And of course, you saw a lot of freaking out from Vandy fans, but they ended up winning Saturday and Sunday. Beat Maryland eight to seven with an RJ Shrek walk off on Saturday and then beat Minnesota yesterday four nothing. Just a quiet no hitter. Combined no-hitter uh, by, <laughs> by the Vandy boys. Grayson Carter, Sam Laboki, Ryan Ginther, and Nick Maldonado all combined for it. A pretty badass picture of uh, Alan Espinal with the four other pitchers that that combined for that. I thought that was that was cool. Vastine, Austin, Shrek, Nolan, they're all mashing the baseball. But Trevor, I know your, your recap article is going to be up here soon. Bradfield and Diaz still need to step up. You know, I think I think they're both hitting yeah. in the low two hundreds right now. So I know we got to get on to basketball, but you know, real quick, sort of tease that that recap, Trev. I think the offense is is better, but there's still there's still room to grow, and and there's so much baseball to play. It's it's there it's is. weird. Yeah. It's weird criticizing the team right now, but the, their offense I think needs to step up a little bit, especially Bradfield and Diaz guys like that. You know, sort to to where Vanderbilt gets to the point to where they win SEC series. Yeah, I think it's funny too. It, it's so funny for for football. Um, the expectations have been so low, and I I'll, I'll say this because I don't think we we think about baseball in this aspect a lot. Um, the expectations for football have been so low for so long. Basketball, they're starting to rise, and you're starting to raise expectations a little bit. Um, but we can be hypercritical about this baseball team, and, and like it's not just we don't just want them to like win a couple series like the standard for Vanderbilt baseball yeah. 
is to host and then to make it to Omaha. And if you don't host and you don't go to Omaha, then that season is a failure. And mm-hmm. so I just I, I anytime I watch Vandy baseball, I'm in I am eternally grateful for Tim Corbin and this program. Um, but yeah, the bats are I don't know if they're waking up. They're still I actually tweeted at Ari Gerson, who does a really, really good job with baseball coverage. And I, I straight up mm-hmm. asked, I told people not to freak out, but I, I was kind of freaking out after the after that one game this weekend. And I was like, is it time to worry about how like quiet the bats are? And she said that just the way this roster is constructed, as as much as as much as you sort of hate to see it, Vanderbilt is going to win a lot of three two three one two oh ball games uh Mm -hmm. this team is is built on pitching not a lot of offense um i think you're gonna see and i we've seen it early in that initial series at globe life where vanderbilt played a lot of small ball i feel like enrique bradfield freaking bunted on every ab Which, if there's guys on, or if they're like, I don't want to get into the whole bunting situation. I have my own opinion on that. But yeah, I think Vanderbilt's going to have to sort of play that old school Vanderbilt baseball that we kind of saw growing up to where they're going to have mm-hmm. to play small ball and be really, really aggressive on the base paths, which they can be. They can win ball games like that. This is, I mean, that's just a fact. But um, yeah, a combined no no, all lefties too, which is yeah. sort of unheard of. I love how um, that was, that was so quiet. Like, oh yeah, Vandy just threw a no no. <laughs> well, and two, like that's just to the that's just the thing to where Vandy has produced such stud pitchers for over a decade now that doing something like throwing a combined no no is just like yeah, like it, it's it's just kind of yeah. what they do. Yeah, like so yeah, I'm not I'm not worried about baseball yet. Enrique Bradfield does need to get on base a little bit more. I don't care if it's if it's hits, I don't care if it's walks um just boost that on base percentage because he's most effective when he's on the base paths i don't care how he gets on i don't think tim corbin cares how he gets on as long as he gets on the bases yeah um but yeah baseball big i mean not a big series win but i mean still a a two nothing or two one series win um is still great yeah they're gonna be fine i'm not worried about it the pitching is stellar they still have tim corbin I'm sure the bats will wake up eventually, um, but enjoy watching. I'll say this: enjoy watching guys like RJ Austin. Yes, um, he's a stud, and I really like watching him play baseball. Also, the field in Minnesota was disgusting. I don't know if anybody oh actually watched it. It was terrible. Did you see? Did you see some of the camera angles too? Like, like th- th- there would be a Nolan hit a home run to center field and the camera went to like third base and then right field and like never found the ball. I'm like, what is going on? Like, how is I, it this? How is it? This I always bad? reserve most of my comments for baseball until after basketball season finishes out and I can shift my focus over. But I watched some of that's, that series. That's part of the reason was- why. It was giving me like horrific anxiety watching them <laughs> yes. play on that field. I don't know what it was. It just looked like it looked they awful. it looked like they went fifty percent of the way to transforming it into a baseball field, and then <laughs> I were was like, thinking That's good. football. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. this ain't the. They were like, this is not for them. I'll be right. And they were like, no. And they're like, this is fine. Then like, let's just go ahead and play it like this. That's what it felt like to me. And I was like, I can't. I can't watch this. Like, I yeah. Just can't. It's 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 funny. Yeah. SEC fans like Ole Miss and Vandy fans were like, what in the world is this? Like, what are we watching? But it was well just from an aesthetic standpoint that was. 
I mean, it I don't know if you guys like watch from a Vanderbilt fan base that's used to playing on turf, like an infield, a yeah. turf. Yeah, infield. The like turf that would that was not our complaint. The no. turf looked awful. Like it's yeah, like let's terrible. make this turf look bad, like for these baseball guys. <laughs> like it was ridiculous. But I thought anyway, they were playing yeah. a game in a in a batting cage. Like I don't know if you guys ever went to like one of those old school like the bad turf, yes. dude. Yeah. That's literally what I thought. I'm like, are they playing in a freaking batting cage? Like what in the world? <laughs> Pulled out the Astro turf. <laughs> literally. Anyway, Vanny gets it done, and uh, don't want to harp on the the Vanny boys too much. But I thought Saturday's win was huge, uh, just to you know, yeah. to bounce back after Friday's loss. Well, they've got your Golden Eagles this week. Tennessee Tech comes to the Hawk uh, on uh, tomorrow, uh, yeah, Tuesday. So, and then they got Evansville on Wednesday, and then they got Loyola Marymount this weekend. So uh, that's what's I going lost on. Austin Doves almost pulled an upset on <laughs> on last. I'm glad they didn't, but it's it's I was Will's worried. turn now. Yeah, yeah, well, welcome to the torture chair now. Uh, Tennessee Tech baseball not too long ago made a nice little run there and had the Texas supers, on the yeah. had had Texas on the ropes in the supers Ooh. and they started flashing the hook them down and they got beat. But, <laughs> oh god. Uh, they started out they started out up 1-0 in that super. Speaking of Tennessee Tech, their basketball team came so close to to making an NCAA Overtime. tournament berth. So yeah. uh, for the first time, it would have been the first time for the Golden Eagles since 1963 uh, to make oh. it to the NCAA tournament. The second longest drought of any team that has made it. Now that's a caveat of a team that has made it to the NCAA tournament. It's the second longest drought in all of NCAA Division One basketball. Yeah. That and that was a band. That was a Vandy type loss. They hit a buzzer beater. They hit a buzzer beater to win the game. And they and they called it a three on the court. They were down two. They mm. threw the ball full, full, full court length. Dude caught it, turned around, shot it, hit it, thought it was a three. It got called two, sent overtime, and they lost to add to the heartbreak. So they celebrated the win, only to have the win pulled back, come out, play, and lose. So all I could all I could think that was about fun was- to watch. All I could think about was you, Will, experiencing Vandy, the Vandy side of that, and Tennessee Tech. But uh, let, yeah. <laughs> let's get to basketball. Before we dive deep into the game, guys, and where Vanderbilt is right now, let's talk about Stackhouse, Robbins, Jordan Wright, because we need to harp on these guys and their awards and what they racked in. Stackhouse, co-SEC Coach of the Year, Vandy's first Coach of the Year since 2010. This is the 11th time. I didn't know this. 11th time a Vandy coach has won SEC Coach of the Year. Oh. Roy Skinner won four times. Wayne Dobbs uh, won it. CM Newton won it twice. Eddie Fogler uh, won it one year. And Kevin Stallings won it twice. So I didn't know that. That's pretty crazy. Tells you about the tradition uh, uh, in coaching excellence that's come through Vandy. Liam Robbins, first ever SEC Defensive Player of the Year winner for Vanderbilt. Led Vandy in points, rebounds, and blocks. I mean, guys, he, he deserved it. That, that's that's the award that you go, okay, I'm not surprised at all that Robbins was able to take it home. Jordan Wright, SEC Player of the Week, averaged 21 points, five rebounds against Kentucky and Mississippi State. Guys, all of those were deserved. I mean, you look back at that, Jordan Wright, he deserves Player of the Week. Robbins deserves Defensive Player of the Year. And Stackhouse deserved Coach of the Year. Now, I thought it was good co-coach of the year. I thought it was going to be Dennis Gates along with him. That's why I tweeted. I tweeted along with Missouri's Dennis Gates because that's what I thought. But it was actually Buzz Williams at Texas A&M. So uh, congrats to Buzz and Stackhouse. But, well, I'll start with you here. I, I am, like, I'm not surprised Stackhouse w- was co-coach of the year. But part of me is still stunned looking back, going back to the season, the part of the season of the Alabama game, and thinking to myself, is this ever possible? Like, we were <laughs> – 
Like we, I had already started writing down a list of candidates to replace Coach Stackhouse on pen. I mean, on, we had an a, entire pod, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we all, that's where we were going. But it is unbelievable what he's done with this team. And will you just look at the the guys play for him? Like they they play for him. They they emulate him. And it reminds me, like when Jordan starts getting buckets and Tyron plays the way he can, it reminds me of Stackhouse. The way I'm not saying I watch Stackhouse in the NBA, but it just it makes you think of Stack as a player, and that's how this team is playing. They've got the Stackhouse swagger right now, Will, and and he deserved it. He really did. As as crazy as it is to say he's coach of the year, he did it. He, he proved you- all of us wrong. If you would have said two months ago to us that we would be saying the words Jerry Stackhouse is co- SEC Coach of the Year or Co-Coach of the Year, and then he deserves it, I, I don't think we would have believed you. And it and it literally did take winning eight of the last nine games the regular season. So it was a pretty big turnaround. It's not like yeah. everything was kind of mediocre before that. But I, I wish you could point to something on this team and say this is the reason for the turnaround or this is the thing or X, Y, and Z, but this team just doesn't have that. They don't have the one thing you can point to and say, this is the switch that flipped, or this is the thing that happened. It's just like a thousand little things started working better than they were before. A lot of it is really Ezra Mignon. I mean, he is the difference. His play, once they've got on this streak, he has been the best point guard in the SEC. And how he has run this offense. And the biggest change has been, even though it's not necessarily directly pointing to the winning streak, is Ezra Mignon's not just ability to get this team in the offense set. It's his ability to attack the basket and be a scoring threat around the basket. Um, And then Jordan Wright and Tyron Lawrence stepping up, especially Tyron. You said it last podcast, I think, Billy. He always has the quietest. He'll have like a quiet Mm -hmm. 21 points. Mm -hmm. and it. But it feels like almost every night during this win streak is Tyron Lawrence has just become a different animal. He's that second guy every game. Yep. Even though it's not easy to point to anything specific, like just one gigantic change in the rotations or one thing that Stackhouse, you know, did, it's really... Tyron Lawrence, he pushed his buttons perfectly by sitting him during that Alabama game. Now, in the end, that 57-point loss to Alabama with how it's calculated into the net may end up be what may end up being what costs them a tournament berth. So it did get this team playing its best ball down the stretch of the season. With uh, cost. And you've seen, but there was a cost, exactly. So Tyron Lawrence, you've seen a different beast come out ever since he didn't play in that game. But stack was it worth it so i i think that that's where we sit is yes it's incredible what jerry stackhouse has done turning around this team halfway through the season and when you look at the trajectory from when he started here it's great but there are still things when you've been plugged into this team throughout the entire year yeah that there were coaching decisions now that we're just kind of looking at as part of this team that were coaching decisions that are now costing them and are big issues. And he didn't figure out this team early. Like the rotations were awful and this team wasn't playing well together early, but he was able to get them to congeal together and start playing their best ball. So that's where I think me and Trevor probably were is yeah, Jerry Stackhouse 100% is the SEC coach of the year. 
during the last half of SEC play, mm-hmm. uh, maybe the last sixty mm-hmm. percent of SEC play. But prior to that, this season was definitely not on the trajectory of being no. deemed a success. Probably no. wasn't even on the trajectory uh, of Jerry Stackhouse being a favorite to keep his job going into next season. So I think that's where we're a little torn. It's like, congratulations, Jerry. It's been incredible. But it's not like this whole season has just been a fantastic joyride of success. So that's where it feels a little weird is most of the time when you see SEC Coach of the Year, it's a huge jump in success. Yeah. Definite NCAA tournament berth. That's not really the position. That's why I thought program is in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of a weird situation to have that, have a team that had expectations to be on the bubble. Now they're sitting pretty much at or a slightly lower than where their preseason expectations were. Mm -hmm. And the coach is still winning co-coach of the year. Like I get it. I get it. It is awesome. But this is maybe where we expected probably if this season went as a C we would be sitting about 80th in the net rankings on the outside looking into the bubble. So that's where I think it's a little weird. I mean, yeah. I, I, I agree with it. You were dead on last podcast, Billy, Trevor, I don't know your opinion on it, but it is just odd to be sitting here. I'm not satisfied with this season. Like mm-hmm. I'm not fully disappointed. Like it's not a miserable failure, but I'm kind of somewhere in the middle right now. And I yeah. think most Vanderbilt fans sit there that if, where was this performance? Where were these performances 10 games ago? And where was this performance when you lost to LSU midweek? And there are just times that it just kind of blows your mind how this mm-hmm. team can come out and perform and then come out and dominate Mississippi State without your seven foot one star center uh, mm-hmm. in the game. So you just, you never, know. I don't know. It's a lot yeah. of confusion. Trevor, I have a feeling that, uh, are you in support of the Jerry Stackhouse co-coach of the year? Or are was you it, on the was it, was it worth I, it? I, as, as much as I would love to have an answer to that right now, I don't know if I do. Like, I'm in, <laughs> like, I, so honestly, as a fan, I really want to enjoy him being co-coach mm-hmm. of the year. I think, the the last this last stretch of the season, I think he totally deserves it. As bad as that Alabama loss was, and I totally agree, that might be what stops us from getting a tournament berth. Yeah. The the more I think about it is do you do you have this turnaround if you don't get bludgeoned by Alabama though? That's yeah. And that's so that's true. That's, that's why that's why I'm having like my brain is literally in a tizzy because <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I don't think they do have this turnaround if they don't get their brains beat out by Bama. I really it pro- don't. It probably gets worse. Like if they lose to Bama by I think, 20 I or think 30, you're right. Yeah. Like they, it probably just continues. But you do have to give credit to Stack on that. Yeah. Saying, okay, yep. he was able to rally the guys and get them behind something when every single it felt like every Vandy fan was against this this team and this program. And uh, that's exactly where I'm at. And, yeah. and you know, Will, I, I'm with you. Like, it's hard to pinpoint something with the players. And so my gut and my my brain keeps going back to Coach Stack. Like it, mm-hmm. it keeps going yeah. back to like his ability to rally these guys and my tune has changed guys. I mean, I, I'm sure you can tell, like, like I'm not, you know, <clears throat> I'm not all the way back. And I think most fans aren't yet, 
But to get to this point, like beating Kentucky at Rupp, like we yeah. never thought that was possible. Um, mm-hmm. You know, beating Tennessee at home, even to start the rally early, beating Auburn, going to Gainesville, beating Florida, then beating Florida again. Like they figured something out. I don't know what yeah. they figured out, but they figured something out. And so, Will, I'm with you with like the players. Like I, I don't, it's hard to pinpoint like one guy or like a few guys that have really rallied because it's been a mix but I just keep going back. Like my, that little angel on my shoulder says it's coach Stackhouse. Like, like, and so that's, that's where I'm at. Like yeah. you, it, I just sort of keep going back to stack, even though I was a little surprised still to see him win it. Like I woke up or, or, you know, I don't know when, when it was announced, but I saw my, looked at my phone and I'm like, Oh wow. They, they gave it to him. Like, yeah, <laughs> I was still like, you know, like part of me was still surprised. Mm-hmm. It all it also could be viewed a little bit as like an award that is almost being given for what he's done like the last three years of trajectory. Right. And it's like it's it's often hard yeah. to find within conference such a clear and obvious trajectory of higher winning. This percentage was a tough year, yeah. Within the conference. Yeah. So I yeah, I, I don't know. It's, I don't it's know how voted... much more I have to say about this because I don't want to sound like I'm trying to like diminish him receiving yeah. the award. It's not that I don't think he deserves it, but it's like I it's also like... am not fully on the side of like, yeah, 100 percent. He absolutely deserved it. So yeah, it's kind it... of this weird middle ground, kind of like where I'm sitting with Stackhouse in general. It's still hard to wrap your brain around it, around it all, the run, what Coach Stack has done. So uh, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll kind of continue to get to Stack and what he's done throughout the season. But guys, Vandy knocks off Mississippi State, seventy-seven, seventy-two. They're now eighteen and thirteen on the season, eleven and seven in the SEC. They've won eight of their last nine. They ended the season on a five-game home winning streak. For for the Bulldogs, their at-large bid takes a massive hit. I mean, you, there's you could argue they're they're done. Um, now I think they could still go on a run, make some noise at Bridgestone, and maybe get in. But Vanderbilt, that was a, I mean, that, I keep thinking about that, guys. Like Mississippi State came into this game having to win. Like this was a must-win mm-hmm. for Mississippi yeah. State, and Vandy just said, "Nope, you're coming into our house. You're not beating us." So I, I thought that that mindset was was there the whole night. Uh, they never trailed Will, as you talked about, uh, four players in double figures. And I love Ezra's quote after the game. Chad Bishop put this up on video. He said, I think we have a tough, gritty team, and we love each other. We really do. And the coaches love us, and we love the coaches. It's just a team. It's a real team, and I think that comes down to a lot of things, and we get it done because of that. And 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 I thought he put that well because – at the end of a lot of these games, guys, and even the, the Mississippi State game, sitting up there with you, Trev, I said, mm-hmm. something's going to happen to where Vandy doesn't get it done. Like, Mississippi State's going to – Oh, we were having bad feelings at the end. Like, we were talking, we're like, they're going to lose. Yeah, like, like Mississippi State's going to find a way, right? Like, they yeah. have to win. This is a must win for them. But, no, Vandy found a way like they have the last five home games and eight of yep. the last nine games. And I think you, you just – you think about the fibers of this team and, and how they're made up and – the, the guy every and Ezra talked about these guys were underrated coming out of high school. There's not a mm-hmm. five or even a four star recruit on this team. I mean, maybe if you go back and look at the rankings, there's a, a one or two, but I don't even yeah. think so. Like, I don't even know if Liam w- was a four star coming out of high school. So, like, they're Colin all Smith. un yeah, Col- Colin Smith, yeah. So, and Shelby, but he didn't play. But you know, th- my point is that, that these guys have really made made it their own and and they've turned they've turned their games most guys have turned their games into a dominant form uh against really good teams and 
Guys, it's just it's unbelievable how far this this team has come. They were picked to finish 12th in the SEC. They finished tied for fourth. Uh, nine wins over quad one and quad two teams in the net. That should get you in. I mean, looking at the numbers, if the number, I if, mean, if, if, if your record against quad one and quad two teams gets you in, you should be in. Uh, they beat Kentucky and Mississippi State without Liam Robbins. So, guys, I, I keep pointing at that. This team is more than just Liam. I, I think that's what we're we're figuring out a little bit here. Like mm-hmm. Liam was out against Kentucky, you know, within four minutes of the game uh, of the game getting underway. You beat Kentucky on the road. You beat Mississippi State without Liam. Like they they find a way, whether it's QMB fighting with Tolu Smith, even though he ended up with twenty seven points and eleven rebounds. Like they just they find a way. And and will these guards, Jordan Wright, Tyron Lawrence, Ezra Manion, and Miles Studi, if they play like that, this is a tough team to beat. Like you got Jordan dropping nineteen, Lawrence with sixteen, Ezra with fifteen, Miles with twelve. I mean, that's your dream game for those guards. So. I think you're looking at that these guards, well, they played a lot of basketball. And what do we talk about in March? Everybody talks about your guard play. Okay, mm-hmm. do, are your guards good enough? Can they make shots? Can they get in the lane? They've got a guy like Ezra to get in the lane and kick it out to Studi. They've got Tyron who's getting to the rack consistently. And you've got the Swift Ar- Swiss Army Knife and Jordan Wright who can do whatever you need. So, Will, I, I put those four guards against anybody in, in really in the country right now. <laughs> When it's they're always well, when they're playing. Yes, well. it's all well. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to disagree with you. It's it's always just hard to view this and get as excited. And I'm just going to get this out of the way now, knowing the potential this team could have, like because you saw it with a fully healthy Liam Robbins uh, of how good this team is, and now him being out the remainder of the season. So I just have to push that out of my mind. This is the team now, and good, it's good different. Vibes. It's a different look. I mean, you're basically kind of working with the fact that you have outside of QMB a bunch of guys that are positionless players. You have Ezra Mignon that's clearly a point guard and QMB is clearly a five. Other than that, pretty much anybody can swap out anywhere. And that can create matchup nightmares for defenses. So as much of a matchup nightmare as it is for Vanderbilt when Miles Studi is playing the five, when Vanderbilt's on offense, Stackhouse has done a good job of designing yeah. that offense where now it's a matchup nightmare just as much on the other side for the opponent. So there's two sides to that always. Anytime that I see that, I'm like, well, maybe if you drew up some better offense, it would be a mismatch for the opponent as well. Stackhouse seems to be doing a good job of that. But man, it's still hard to get out of your mind, like the depth issue that they have, but now having Lee Dort coming back, depending Mm -hmm. on how healthy he can be in this tournament, that can be the difference. Those nine to 12 minutes that Lee Dort could provide of a true five man, just with the big body could be a massive difference uh, in this SEC tournament. We'll see. I mean, especially if it's a matchup, that matchup with Kentucky kind of looming on the radar. I don't want to look ahead, but Mm -hmm. having Lee Dort back for that game would, would be very helpful. But, Billy, you said it, the guard play. The guard yeah. play has been what has been the difference. Ezra Mignon, yeah. Tyron Lawrence, I talked about it in the turnaround a little bit. But Jordan Wright, if Jordan Wright can continue to play and score like this, I'll put this team up against anybody in a tournament setting. Because if you add in him shooting 30-foot shots from the outside, this team almost becomes unguardable. And then that it was, was nice to see yeah. Miles Studi shoot four out of eight as well. That was the Jordan Wright we've been waiting for, mm-hmm. Trev. That like was. Right, right yep. there. That was yep. it. And we've been saying it. I mean, I specifically have been saying it, and I've been really critical of Jordan Wright. I've been saying it was, 
is, is he that guy that we thought he could be? And Saturday, he was that guy that going into the season, we thought he was going to be, he completely put the team on his back. He had an absolutely great game offensively, defensively. Um, I mean, he was the star of the show. And if you if Jordan Wright doesn't put up that type of performance, then Vanderbilt doesn't win that ball game. Um, and we're not uh, the the tune tonight would be greatly different than um, than it is now. But Jordan Wright, he, I mean, what a performance! I mean, I, SEC SEC Player of the Week. Mm-hmm. Um, he deserves it, man. He he was awesome. And then I mean, Will's been. I mean, Will has been. Uh, emphasizing it too with Miles Studi, you just shooters get cold, but whenever they get hot, I mean, you can't stop them. And he he finally had that game to where, and I think even with Studi, I think Saturday, I don't even know, I don't even think he was fully on. You know what I mean? Like I was like, he was sort of teetering between like hot and cold. He was kind of lukewarm, but my God. If going will, into tournament time, if he can get like if he can get like on on like he was early in the season, I don't know if I don't know if you can beat this team. Just yeah, that, of the, the length and the space that they would have on the perimeter. I don't I don't know how you guard them. That when the guards are playing, you're gonna run a zone, they're gonna shoot well, there was a comment, all day long. There's a comment from one of the announcers, and he made it a couple times, but you guys were at the game, so you obviously didn't hear this, but he said something. This is a very good scoring or shooting lineup on the court for Vanderbilt, and it was often with Mignon or QMB, and QMB at the five and Mignon at the one, but then the other three guys around them were all either having to be guarded by the defense as shooters because they were shooting well that game, or it was like Tyron Lawrence and Miles Studi out there, and it yeah. was spreading out everything. Yeah. The lineup usage and just – its stack has just figured something out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like, I've mm-hmm. taken – I've taken quite a few shots at stack, but like the biggest one I took was this narrative of him being an X's and O's coach. Well, he took that personally because this is the best coaching X's and O's wise of getting guys open and, and just consistently getting good looks for the guys on the court in this last 10 games. It's been incredible. And, and it was I know. good against Mississippi state with weird lineups, yeah. which kind of changes up everything. And you think about like Liam Robbins is out. But I think, guys, and I think y'all agree, if Ezra Mignon was out, that would be a whole nother story. Like, like imagine this yeah. team without Ezra, yeah. like, having to go with Trey Thomas at the one consistently or even Paul Lewis. Like, this team would just be totally different. And that's the case for most teams. Like, Tennessee without Zakai Ziegler, they're a totally different team because they, mm-hmm. they can't get into a lot of sets because yeah. they, he can't, can't dribble drive. So I think for Ezra has been such a catalyst, guys. Like, Ezra's mm-hmm. Ezra getting into the paint is so dangerous because he gets into the paint. He gets by his defender most times. Now, maybe not all the way to the basket, but he makes great reads. Like if, if he, when he gets, when he's going to the basket, if his guy's behind him, he's taking it to the rack. But if mm-hmm. he's a little bit to the side of him and he knows he doesn't have a shot, he's kicking it out to miles. You saw that guys, the perfect example of was miles deep three from about 40 mm-hmm. feet out on honky tonk night. He, he yeah. shot it free, made it from Broadway. That was Ezra guys. That, My that guy was, was an FGL house. Just, yeah. just banging shots. <laughs> that was, that was Ezra's ability to cross over, get into the paint, kick it out. And miles, you know, he wasn't even wide open. I mean, the, the shot was from 45 feet out. But, Will, I, I keep thinking of Ezra, man, 
and I think that's what Stack has figured out. He's figured out how to use Ezra, and he's put him in those situations to where Vanderbilt is almost scoring every time or having a chance to score. Ezra does this thing that is kind of like, I hope I can describe this well. (laughs) So he is very quick and fast, but there are a lot of guys that are quick and fast and whatever that play point guard. It's when opponents bring full court pressure of any kind. Mm -hmm. When Ezra Mignon is on the court, he just makes one little in and out dribble and he's up the sideline. That was huge. You might as well just forget trying to press Vanderbilt when Ezra Mignon is getting the ball because you can't catch him to double him. He's so fast. And that is like a different level of speed and quickness from a point guard that even the quick and fast guys don't have that gear. And Ezra Mignon just looks like he's not even trying. It's like he's like no. gliding down yeah. the court. And I'll say, I'll say too, Will, a little bit about like the X's and O's thing too, specifically with Ezra. I I don't know if you can I, – I haven't been able to notice it on TV as well as I have as to when I've been at the Auburn game and at um, the Mississippi State game. If you're sitting behind the baskets and in the second half, specifically where we're sitting in L, and Vandy is coming towards you, I, me and me and Billy were talking about this Saturday night. The it you can drive a Mack truck down the paint the way that the defense the way is they spread, spread out, out. Yeah. specifically when Ezra's on the court, it's insane. Like it, you literally look like you could drive a semi to the paint. But and, yeah. I totally agree. Yeah, Ezra, he and I Mississippi State pressed a couple times on on Saturday night and it's Ezra's ball handling is too good. He's got that. He's got that real good twitch. Um, whenever he's on the court, this Vanderbilt offense is much, much different. Yeah. Without without Ezra Saturday night, Vandy does not win that game because the, no. Mississippi State. You said a couple times, Trevor. They it, it's almost like they pressed the whole second half. Now it wasn't a yeah. full court press. It was that three quarter court trap where sort of a they're trying the hell out of you press. Yeah, yeah, they're trying to force turnovers, but they never really got turnovers. Trey turned mm-hmm. it over once. I think Q turned it over once. But other than that, I thought Ezra was the guy. Stack said, "Hey, Ezra, just get it up the floor and get us in our set. They're going to back out, and they did." And guys, one mm-hmm. more thing on the guards. I, I think we can't take for granted the quickness of Ezra and Tyron and the explosiveness of those guys. Like not every team, there's some really good basketball teams this year, but there's some teams like a Tennessee, for example, they don't really have any guards that can penetrate inside and just be explosive and get to the rack. Vandy does. They've got a guy like Ezra and Tyron and even Jordan who any, really any time, if there's space they can drive. So it's not just Ezra. You've got a guy like Tyron who Tyron talk about making it look easy. Tyron makes getting to the rim look like a walk in the park on a Saturday. Hey, I put, mean, put a little respect on Trey Thomas's little floater. He's got to don't, don't sleep. <laughs> don't sleep. The floater that that's been open. Like he's, has, he's been, yeah. he's been open and he, you know, I think he missed a couple times against Kentucky and Mississippi state, but that's another shot. If you got Trey coming off that curl and hitting the floater, that's another shot that Vandy needs. So I just think, guys, I think the guards have been the story throughout this pod of realizing, you know, something to pinpoint, and it's been the guards and their ability to get the ball into the paint. Uh, Will, some team stats here. Vandy shot 49% from the field. It's pretty damn good. Uh, 48% from three. You shoot 48% from three, you're going to win a lot of games, especially mm-hmm. when you're at Memorial. 13 of 18 from the free throw line. Uh, their misses, 
were almost costly, uh, but they made a good percent of them, over 70%. Those misses, guys, Ezra's miss, Tyron missed a couple late. I thought those might cost them. I, like, I, I thought mm-hmm. those might cost them, but Jordan's, Jordan's were huge. He was four Trey for four. Trey Thomas had a big miss. Yeah, uh, Jordan was four for four in the final seconds. Um, and then, you know, you looked at, you looked at Studi, I thought, you know, 12 points, all threes, finished four of eight from deep. Uh, I mean, it, it, I agree with you, Trevor. He wasn't all the way on. Like, we've seen Studi hit six, seven, eight threes in a game. You know, mm-hmm. like, that that wasn't even his best performance. But, guys, let's talk about the rebounding. Mississippi State dominated. They dominated the paint. They out-rebounded Vandy 45-24. to 24. Uh, They gave Vandy gave up 23 offensive rebounds. Looking ahead to that Friday night Kentucky matchup, knock on wood, rebounding will be crucial against Sheboy. Tolu Smith had 27 points and 11 rebounds. Uh, guys, I just, I thought that's that's the reason I thought Vandy might lose the game down the stretch. Like they, they were Tolu Smith every time he touched the ball it was either a foul or he would find a way to finish. So I just thought rebounding and and guys to to lose the rebounding battle 45 to 24. But find a way to win, and you mentioned this in the spaces, Trev. Like that's something otherworldly. Like who that almost yeah. rarely ever that happens. defies basketball logic. Yeah, yeah. And, and but you look at Vandy's shooting. Okay, forty eight percent from three. That's what did them. You know that that's what did it for him. And the free throw line shots were huge. Mississippi well, State. Too, ahead, I'll say Trev. this too. This just a little quick tidbit. Not only did Vandy not lose. With that big of a discrepancy on the boards, Vandy never trailed. That's that's what was crazy. They they didn't trail the whole ball game. That, like, not just winning, but leading the whole ball game with that big of a discrepancy is freaking insane. Like, I don't know if that's ever – I'm sure it's happened before, but (laughs) – yeah. And I think that's why, Will, you kept saying it felt like they did control the game. Like, even when late it didn't – and then Mississippi State went on a run there, I think, midway through that second half. You kept telling – I kept telling myself, this is it. This is where Mississippi State sort of takes over. They just kept hitting shots. Vandy found a way to just keep hitting shots. And I, I it's, like, hard to pinpoint, but Studi had a big three. Uh, Tyron had a big three late. Uh, Trey had a big three late. It's like the shots they had to make, they made. And that feels like a common theme down the stretch here where they're just making shots. When they've got to make them, and that's what it comes down to in March, guys. So, uh, Vanny gets it done against Mississippi State. Uh, I know we've got some fan comments and questions here, uh, and we've got we've got a, a, a several uh, several good group of questions here. Let's get to Vandy Dude uh, on Twitter. He asks, "How will the Doors make the tournament? Will it take one, take two, or even three wins in the SEC tournament?" This this is the question here. This is the end all be all here. And it's really, it's almost impossible to answer. Like, I think, and Trevor, you said this before we went on, that you think Vandy just has to win one and they've got a shot. I think, me, it's a, I think it's a real possibility that they just have me, to win one. Part of me believes you when you say that because the bubble is not great. And there's bubble Two, teams. Beat Kentucky, there's, you're in regardless. There's, it's no doubt, take it to the bank. Beat Kentucky, you're in. But there's also the other side mm-hmm. of it saying, even if Vanderbilt does beat Kentucky – does that Alabama win come back to haunt them? Oh, like God. that's just that's the conundrum <laughs> that the committee has right now. And I will stand by this saying no matter what happens in the SEC tournament, if Vandy wins one, that's going to be tough. That's going to be a tough sell. But if Vandy wins two or even three, 
I think it's still going to be up to the committee, a few members on that committee, basically turning on their human side of their brain, not the computer side, saying, look at the way this team is playing. They deserve a bit. Like, I, I think that's you're, you have to have that if you're Vandy, because if not, you're leaving it up to the other com- the other seven. I don't know how many guys are on the committee. The other seven computer geeks basically saying, no, this team is 80 in the net. They're not getting in. So I, I just think you need some human you need some human interaction there in the committee if you're Vandy. I mean, we're going to have Vanderbilt's going to be a good test case this year. Because right now, I think it does a lot depend on what happens in the SEC tournament, whether Vanderbilt is truly considered a bubble team. And I'm not saying right now that Vanderbilt, if everything just stopped and they selected the committee or selected the field, that Vanderbilt should be in the tournament. I'm not saying that. However, I'm saying that there are some things that have come up this year in the net rankings that have almost made them irrelevant to me. And if the committee can't recognize the flaw that is within these systems, and I'll just bring up, there are a lot of teams I could bring up. Okay. But I think the worst one to me, and if anybody out there finds out I'm wrong, please correct me, but I know I'm not, is Ohio State is ranked 20 spots above Vanderbilt in the NCAA basketball net rankings. Ohio State is 13 and 18 and have lost 12 of their last 15 basketball games. They're ranked 63rd in the NCAA net. I, I don't even know what to say. And someone that, it, either I'm looking voice. at either I'm looking at wrong data on the NCAA's website or something doesn't make sense. Right now I'm looking at it on NCAA. No, yeah, that's org, that's right. Yeah. And this is correct. That is how messed up the NCAA net rankings are. I had this whole list of things that I was going to go through showing teams that had zero wins versus quad one teams ranked above Vanderbilt and one win versus quad one teams. But that's just in your face. A symptom of the problem is 13 Mm -hmm. and 18 Ohio state is ranked 63rd in the NCAA net. There's also an interesting stat here because I went through the numbers of teams that have played at least 10 games versus Q1 opponents. Okay. And have won. I'm I'm looking at this compared to Vanderbilt. So right now they're of teams that have played 10 or less or at, ah, I'm going to mess this up, Billy. So give no, me a pause it. here for a second. Okay. Reset. Okay. Of teams ranked ahead of Vanderbilt that have played 10 or more Q1 mm-hmm. games, Vanderbilt has a higher win percentage than those teams. So if you run through it, Florida ranked at 59 has a 14% Q1 win percentage. Ohio State 63rd, 14% Q1 win percentage. Illinois ranked 33rd, 17% Q1 win percentage. Utah ranked 76th, 18%. Washington State ranked 70th, or 9%. Oregon ranked 47th, ranked 20% win percentage. The point I'm getting to is... I know that there are a lot of things that go into the NCAA net rankings. There are a lot of analytics. There's a lot of mm-hmm. win margin. And was it on the road? It's not as simple as looking at wins and losses. We all know that. It's it's not that easy. But this is not the way. And no. like, it's getting worse. This The RPI is not the way either, but this is worse than the RPI. Like, this makes less sense than the RPI, which was a fatally flawed rating metric. 
And I'm just going to keep using Ohio State as the example because it's inarguable. There's no yeah. way to make that, an argument watching that Ohio State yeah. game, looking at what they have done the last 15 games. And if you just turn on the television and watch them play basketball, you tell me that that team is a top 68 team in the country in college basketball wrong they are not 20 spots better than Vanderbilt it's a flawed metric this whole thing of equally distributed weight from beginning to end of the season on every single game that sounds awesome in theory that sounds fair in theory but it's not because teams are not playing their best basketball at the beginning of the year and you're penalizing teams that are going through the traditional process of having a broad rotation and tightening it down as you inch closer to tournament time. And you're penalizing teams for playing their best basketball at the end of the year versus playing it in the middle of the year and then pissing their pants down the stretch and losing every game. That's not very detrimental to you. So there are a lot of issues. I I wish we could like present a PowerPoint. It would make all this data a lot easier to present. (laughs) It's very, very boring to look at. Uh, but I'm sure there will be some more questions and I've got some pretty good yeah. uh, Excel data here for specific questions. Do you guys remember the BCS? Like mu- much of that, oh, like yeah. when, when, like there was a bunch People of arguing, like everyone was up in arms about the BCS. Yeah. The net makes the BCS look like nothing. Like the net makes the BCS look like it was perfect. And even RPI, like a lot of people didn't like RPI at certain times, but the RPI looks like the best metric ever invented compared to the net right now. I mean, this is ridiculous. But back to the question from it was a good question. I think too, and and I think this is Oh, I forgot of, to answer the question. Yeah, Sorry. no, you're good. But I, I think too, and I think you would agree, Will, here, two wins in the SEC tournament is the best shot. Now you'd like to have three, of course. The but, point I was trying to make by going through all that data that I forgot about was I think with two wins. Obviously, yes, you would look and say a 20 win team with the wins that they have on their resume should be in. And the strength of schedule. Exactly. But when you look at these net rankings and you look at the history and you can go to NCAA.org and look at the history and rankings of each team and you look at what has happened to Vanderbilt recently. It doesn't look like that's going to do enough. And if I, the NCAA com- tournament committee chooses the field, how they have publicly said they are, which is not just the NCAA net, but that is one of, if not the heaviest factor going in that I don't know if Vanderbilt can do anything because they're not going to have a net ranking that's going to be even comparable to these other bubble teams. It's impossible based on what they have done recently with the wins they've gotten. They just haven't bumped up enough. And that's not going to change. Yeah, and what you said, Will, makes me want to bring up Matthew Fisher Davis's tweet from earlier today. He, he's got some really good tweets. I know we've ripped some of them, but he said, if we're not in yet, I don't see why us beating Kentucky at a neutral site would take us over the top if beating them in rough meant nothing. Looking like it'll take winning the whole thing, which is absurd, but it's what it looks like. Hopefully someone beats Bama up top, LOL. Part of me believes that, um, you know, but the human side of me, really for the sake of college athletics hopes that there are three to four committee members that say, no, ignore the net mm-hmm. for this team. This Vanderbilt team is playing phenomenal basketball right now. And I get the net. I get where Vanderbilt's at. That's what's going to happen. And, and part, but part of, then again, part of me agrees with Matthew Fisher Davis, like, <laughs> and agrees with you will because, and I don't like saying it. That's not what I agree with, but the the like deep dark side of me thinks that might be the case. Now I I don't I really hope not 
for for the sake of college athletics, for the betterment of of college basketball. I hope the net dies after this year, but scarily, that might be the case. Who knows though? Who knows? I might have to tweet out this image, and then Trevor, I'll. I'm sorry, this will be the last thing I say on numbers. No, you're fine. Then, uh, you can you can give the comment of anger out here, but <laughs> you can see on. The NCAA's website, you can see the largest movements that Vanderbilt has had in the net rankings this year. They started out ranked at number 119 in the first net rankings on December 4th of 2022. On December 8th of 2022, they were ranked number 109. They lost to Grambling State on December 9th, and that moved them to number 137. Then Vanderbilt, on December 29th of 2022 was ranked number 143 in the net, okay? Then, what in the world? Yeah, then they played Southeastern Louisiana, who is a Q4 team, and they beat Southeastern Louisiana 93-55. to Vanderbilt beat them. And Vanderbilt jumped from number 143 to number 119, and that was, one, that was the largest jump up in one game that they have had all year on a blowout victory against a Q4 team. And then this is the kicker. And this is what we've been referencing is on January 30th, 2023, this Vanderbilt team was ranked 93rd in the net. Then they lost to Alabama by 57 points and they moved to number 107. They moved 14 spots in one loss due to that margin of victory and being at home. And I know that it says on the NCAA net calculations that that scoring margin is capped at 10 points, but something's going on with that, that Vanderbilt's largest movements both up and down have been around 40-point wins or losses to Q1 on the loss and Q4 on the win, and both resulted in the largest bumps up or down for this team all season. That doesn't make any sense. That is illogical. And if anybody can look at Vanderbilt as a test case, the NCAA net has a core problem, and it is due to margin of victory. I don't know what it is. I can't see inside the calculation that they have, but there's something wrong with the team value index calculation, the offensive or defensive efficiency. Something is too heavily weighted on these blowout victories and losses, and it's just rewarding teams for getting beat by six to 10 points over and over like Ohio State, who are now ranked solidly at number 63, even though they've done absolutely nothing all year as far as actual wins are concerned. And, and here's another thing that if you if you continue, if the NCAA and the selection committee continues to uplift the net and say this is going to be um, the analytic standard that the selection committee is going to use most often and weight most heavily, then as a, as a basketball program, why would Vanderbilt ever schedule VCU again? Why, why would somebody like Duke, like, why would we have these SEC Big Ten um, showdowns? Why would we have like ACC um, uh, Big East showdowns? It doesn't, there's no incentive to doing so. There's no incentive for you to go out and to play a team that is going to maybe boost your BPI or boost the, your strength of schedule, it 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 doesn't help you at all. If anything, it hurts you 
Because if Vanderbilt goes out and let's say, um, I don't freaking know, they play. I'm trying to think of a good out of conference. South. They had a really good example this yeah. year, maybe of what you're talking about, which is in the Q4 teams is Grambling State is number 178 in the net, and Alabama A&M is number 321, and they're both Q4. Yeah, and those are and that's like a huge discrepancy. Yeah, that is that's the difference in a team that won their conference's regular season in Grambling State. A and team that might the, make the tournament. Exactly. And yeah. one of the 30 worst programs in the entire country, yet they are both classified as Q4. Yeah. That like is as a, idiotic. The, like the person why would that North designed Carolina... the system to have Q4 to be home opponents number 161 to number 363, those, those opponents are not comparable. If you played no. a seven-game series – between opponents 160 to 200 and opponents 320 to 360, the opponents 160 to 200 would win those 95% of the time because they are vastly superior. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing, the whole thing is crazy. Yeah. The other thing about it too, is the NCAA with the net rankings are forcing coaches to, like you said, Trevor, change the way they schedule, change the way they analyze. Why would a, why would a Duke ever want to play someone like a Cincinnati or why should Bama keep scheduling games against Houston or Gonzaga? It literally, it, it doesn't help you if you follow the net. And there are coaches out there that have figured out the net. I, I think most coaches have, at least by this point. I think Stackhouse has. But part of me thinks Stackhouse didn't even realize the net was being weighted as much as it was at the beginning, like the first half of the season. Because he finally said, we need to win big over this Florida team to help our net rating. Like he, that's the first time he said that was within the last three weeks of the season. So I think there are probably some coaches that knew that going in and they coach differently. They analyze differently. You know, they all compile stats. They all have statistical, you know, nerds on, on their, on their staff, but you know, it just for like some coaches have taken advantage of that and said it, we're going to pummel this Southeastern Louisiana team. We're going to try to pummel uh, an Ole Miss or, you know, a Florida. So we will continue to talk about the net. It's not probably not going to go away as much as we want it to go away. Uh, but again, I'll, I'll continue to harp on. They need some humans on that on that committee to, to help Vanderbilt out. So, and I was going to say, just just in closing for this question, I totally agree. If Vanderbilt wants to get in, the human element of the selection committee is going to have to use their brain and realize that this Vanderbilt team is hot. What matters most? for teams going into tournament play is whoever's the hottest and that Vanderbilt has a good strength, not just a good strength of schedule for all intents and purposes, a great strength and schedule by whether you look at Walter Nolan or whoever you look at Sagarin. Yeah. Literally all of these are going to have Vandy top 20, top 15. You're going to have to hope that the committee just uses like common human sense and just realize that, okay, Maybe they didn't beat um, uh, St. Joseph Brothers of the Poor by a thousand, but they've <laughs> lately they beat a really good Auburn team. They beat a good Kentucky team at Rupp, and they beat a top five team in Tennessee at your place. Like I don't, yeah, and 
and this isn't even for the sake of Vanderbilt. Like this is for the sake of college basketball, the future of college basketball. Like you're gonna have a lot that, of teams get screwed if yeah, th- if that's this why is the metric. I, I like how you said that. Will Vanderbilt is the poster child this year of how asinine the net is. Uh, we'll continue talking about the net. Let's get to Adam uh, on Twitter. He says, "What is Lee Dort's status? The the end all be all question." And Malik Dia played okay for the two minutes he was in. Can he be coached to play big during the tournament? We, I think we answered that last pod. Uh, just thinking QMB can only do so much and will foul out against better teams. I think somebody asked this, this, this literally, literally this question last pod. So let's just get to Dort's status guys. I mean, again, we don't, we don't know, but we had some good insight, Trevor, on the spaces from his we dad, did. Derek, Derek Shelby. About his- made- about as best as you could get. Yeah. I mean, insider access, I was about to say breaking news. Lee Dort is feeling great. His energy is high because that's what Derek said. I'm not going to, you know, if, if I wish I recorded the spaces so people go back, could go back and listen, but he said, he said, quote, he said, quote, he feels no pain. Yes. Now, obviously the staff, they have their, just because he doesn't feel pain doesn't mean there's not still a liability, right. but Derek Shelby said, quote, he feels no pain. Yeah, that was it. That was it. So I think if if you're asking that question, there it is. His status is he's good to go. He's fine. But that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to go out and play 15, 20 minutes. Like I, I think what Derek, he, Derek said, maybe it's a nine or 10 or 11 minute outing. And then against Kentucky, it gets increased a little bit. They're going to slowly introduce him back into the lineup. But Will, you said it. Having Dort in there, just even if it's for 10 minutes, even if it's for a few minutes to spell QMB at times, you know, even if it's to give Dia, take a little pressure off Malik Dia because Dia had to go in there against Tolu Smith and fight. So I think it'll be huge to take a break from Dia, but also if Q gets in foul trouble and you've got to go right to Dia or even Studi at the five against Kentucky, that's bad news. So yeah. I guess let's get to that strategy, guys, against Sheboy. That's sort of what this question gets at. And we've got another question. How can Vanderbilt hold their own against Oscar in the rebounding category from Nate? And he adds, Lee Dort will help, but won't solve the issue. So mm-hmm. what does Vanderbilt do? Where do they go, Will, against Sheboy? The end-all, be-all question. Because, I, you know, Sheboy got his last time they played, 20 and 20, 21 and 20, but Vanderbilt still won. So I guess, can Vanderbilt still win with Sheboy getting his again? Well, number one, don't look past the first game of the SEC tournament versus either (laughs) LSU or Georgia because this team has shown that they are capable of having incapable. Remember what happened last time we looked past a game? Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I, yes, I'm, this is me. So that's the bigger issue here. Yeah. Yeah. Number (laughs) one, win that game because that is not going to be an easy or guaranteed task. But if that's a given, right? There's nothing. There's nothing you can do to to compete against Sheba. You have to hope you can get him in foul trouble early, um, because how you defend against Oscar Sheba and stop him from dominating inside is Liam Robbins is healthy. Is, is how you stop that from happening. You're not going to coach up Lee Dort to uh, stop Oscar Sheba, who's a senior. Uh, QMB is not as good as Oscar Sheboy. No offense to QMB. We love QMB on this podcast. Mm-hmm. But there's not like an answer to stopping Sheboy. Yeah. It's more like mm-hmm. how can you limit Oscar Sheboy? And I think attacking him early, just trying I know it's Kentucky and I know it's very unlikely, 
but just trying to get him in foul trouble. That's your best yeah. bet. Get him one or two early. And then even if Attack he's him. not in horrendous foul trouble throughout the game, he has to play with a little bit more of a timid mindset as to not pick up that third foul uh, early in the second half. And that could be enough of a difference uh, to allow Vanderbilt to compete against. But, you know, lightning is going to be tough to strike twice. And yeah. getting Kentucky on another bad shooting night is going to be a very, you know, I don't want to put anything past this team, but there's good defense and then there's bad shooting. And I think last time against Kentucky, it was a combo. I mean, it wasn't just that Kentucky shot bad. Vanderbilt played good defense, but Kentucky shot bad. But they did shoot bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah. they did shoot bad. So that's another part is, yes, yes. Make Vanderbilt them shoot bad them last time. Exactly. Yeah. Make, like, all of this sounds really dumb coming out of my mouth. It's like, <laughs> rebound the basketball good and make Kentucky not shoot good. And I'm like, there's yeah. my breakdown. But that's, but that's kind of where you're at. I mean, that's basically player, what it is. Yeah. No rational thoughts, Robbins. just vibes. Yeah, no rationality, just vibes. And Vanderbilt's roster is less talented <laughs> than Kentucky's. Like, it just um, is. But this team's roster without Liam Robbins is probably Make them less play talented. bad. It's probably rebound, rebound, rebound. It's, it's probably worse than Mississippi State's roster too, and they dominated that game and controlled that game. That's so that's the thing. I, I won't put anything past this team, good or bad, at this point. That that last part you said, well, we we've been saying that a lot. Like, man, Kentucky's just more talented. Like, like they're they're the more talented team. But every time Vanderbilt somehow figures a way. To beat the team. I mean, Tolu had 27 points and 11 rebounds. Like, he dominated that game. How Vanderbilt won, I don't know. I guess you can say three-point shooting, but Correct. I don't know, Trevor. They they just they find a way. They're gritty, like Ezra yeah. said. I mean, that, that you just can't put it past them. I mean, they're just – I can't stop giggling. It's unexplainable. I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to have a serious moment here, but just Billy going – Make them play bad. It's like living rent free in my head right now, and I can't have a coherent thought. I'm as not if saying, I could before, but I'm not that saying is, I have ten dollars on Vanderbilt to win the SEC championship. But I will. I'm glad. It, I'm really glad it's only ten dollars. Four hundred and eighty dollar payout. So there you go. There you go, I guys. Mean, speaking speaking of Vandy. In the SEC tournament, Mark McNulty, our guy Mark, says, guys, we got to figure out where we need to pregame Thursday night. He's got a good point. I'll be there. I know, Trevor, you got your tickets. We'll, we'll, we're, it's, a, it, it's, it's a late tip. You'll be off work. What's, what's the it, deal? It, it's, it's month in close right now, but uh, I'm going to try my best. Me and Jacob Scholl have uh, discussed getting tickets. So it's all contingent on me not having to look at Excel spreadsheets. But I should be ready to rock. They got um, Wi-Fi at Bridgestone, baby. You're, I, well, you're I gonna, need my screen set up. I'm a. You're I, gonna be, if you saw my office set up, I look like an insane man. You're, you're <laughs> going to be looking at SEC tournament brackets on Excel instead of Can't Excel, wait. like your work on Excel. But dude, yeah, I we'll have to like it. not let myself look at anything related to brackets when I'm supposed to be working because I'll just not work. I'll just not do my job. <laughs> It's March, baby. It's March. Yeah. But, Mark, we'll figure out a place uh, somewhere down there. And I know Auburn and Arkansas play right before Vanderbilt. If you have a ticket to Vandy, you get into that game as well. But, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, probably... I'll say this. I'll say this, too. 
for I have seen some people ask for tickets specifically, and we said this on the space. You can get tickets to the it's it's the six o'clock session for like for like twenty five bucks, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, fifteen twenty bucks. Now they are in section three hundred three, three hundred four, three hundred five. The, with Vanderbilt having the late game, you can buy those cheap tickets and do the tradition of what every SEC fan Sneak base has ever mm-hmm. done who has had the late game is you just go on down to the baseline because there's going to be plenty of seats available. Especially so, Thursday. Yeah. Yes. We will, we will, we will find each other Thursday before the game and during the game. That is, you can, you can bet your bottom dollar. Mark, we you'll, will you'll find see you. us. You'll see. Us. You will see. Like, us. You'll be able to find us. I, I promise. You'll see Trevor. Billy, Billy see. will be, Billy will be punching old men like he did at the, at the Mississippi state game. I, I accidentally <laughs> like slapped, slapped the guy in front of us upside the head, like trying to oh, like, yeah. as I stood up and I, I felt it was so awesome. Bad. Like he, he it was awesome. Me, he gave me the evil eye. I felt awful. Uh, but no, Will 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 be wearing his gold AJ Ogilvy jersey. You'll see him, and Trevor will be wearing his his old uh, Vanderbilt jacket, the black jacket. You'll you'll see. I him. might not wear anything, boys. So just <laughs> buckle up. Don't bring your girl to Bridgestone because I'll be there. All right, guys. But I, I know we're waiting on Trevor's hype speech. We got a bunch of people uh, ready for the hype speech. But Bridgestone, get to Bridgestone, guys. Just get to Bridgestone. There's no excuse not to show spend up. Spend the twenty, spend the twenty five dollars to go to an SEC turn. You get to, you literally get to spend twenty bucks to see like two tournament basketball games. Like, come on, like what, yeah, what are we it, doing? It's for the like, whole session. I, I mean, good lord, like I don't. Vandy you know, and get on my knees and beg for you. Like, come on. Spend, Vandy, I know you guys have twenty five dollars. And Vandy will most likely you're, start somewhere between eight thirty and yeah. nine. So if they win, they'll face Kentucky Friday night. Well, before we get to Trevor, what is your message to the common Vanderbilt fan debating, should I head down to Bridgestone for Thursday and Friday night? Should, should I make that trip? It's such a long trip. It, that 30-minute drive is so long. And there's that flat screen staring, staring at me in my living room. Convince a Vandy fan to get to the stone. I just don't want to give a hype speech because I know it's not going to be as good as Trevor's. I actually <laughs> had something kind of thought out planned, but there's just no point. Let's just give nah, the people bro, let, let it let's... rip. Let it rip. <laughs> no, Trevor, I, th- I think we'll shift over to you. I think we'll give the people what they want. They didn't ask for a Will Byram hype speech. They asked I'm for a hack squad. I'm asking for a Will Byram one. I need it. <laughs> Here we go. Eight out, of the, eight out of the last nine. Eight Don't out of the me, last baby. nine. Every single Vanderbilt fan, every single common Vanderbilt fan, including me, including Billy, including Trevor, all of us said that to get our asses in the seats, what did this team need to do, Billy? Win. Win. What have they done? They've won. They've won. won. They deserve. I rarely use that word because rarely do Vanderbilt teams deserve. This team deserves the fan base's support inside of Bridgestone. They have turned around this season and turned this flaming pile of garbage and wreckage that this entire season was on and turned it around to actually give us meaningful basketball for the first time in years in March. 
and you're not going to make the trip down to watch meaningful tournament basketball for the first time since what 2017 come on now trevor i need the real hype speech from you that was the logical hype speech i need the real hype speech here's the thing guys i gave a hype speech right before auburn i did not own a mic at that point i was just using my airpods and the little microphone that is somehow inside of my airpods my voice and my speaker or my my microphone could not pick up the hype and it was just silent and on camera i'm just gesticulating like an insane person <laughs> after that i decided i need a microphone so that you guys can never not hear a hype speech ever again. I went to the Best Buy in Rivergate at 2.30 on, I think it was President's Day. I was off work. It was a federal holiday. I hop out of my car. Somebody in the Best Buy parking lot of Rivergate wants to fight me. I could have ducked my tail, and I could have went home without a microphone. But I stood there ready to fight this man in the Rivergate Best Buy parking lot because I knew that I needed a microphone so that the masses, the unwashed masses, that not just you all are, but I am, of which I am the foremost unwashed, <laughs> could deliver the goods for all of us absolutely insane people. This guy called me all sorts of slurs, slurs in which I will not repeat on here. But then he hopped out of his Ford F-150, and I realized that he was a 5'5 man and maybe weighed 150 pounds soaking wet. And in that moment, I've never felt so confident in my life as to that I could beat up another grown man. I did not. I just went into Best Buy, and I purchased my microphone for you guys. With that being said, I have gone to great lengths to purchase this microphone. You can go to lesser lengths to get to Bridgestone on Thursday night. This microphone cost me a lot of money, <laughs> over $100. To some of you, that's not a lot of money. I could buy four basketball tickets for the price of this single microphone. There is no excuse for you not to be at Bridgestone on Thursday night. I'm on Twitter and I tweeted shout out to Miller uh, Miller McKee. He is the uh, he is the leader of the boomers in section L. He is the only person <laughs> under the age of 75 that sits in section L and he brings the noise. We need a bunch of people to bring the noise in Bridgestone on Thursday night. On Twitter we have people calling it the brawl on Broadway. We have Melee on Sobro. We have all sorts of other names. Bloodshed at the Barn. Some of these, I'm actually not even reading my Twitter. They just sounded familiar, so I'm just going off rip. Showtime Thursday night, in Smashville. Showtime in Smashville. Hell Hellscape. in the Hockey Barn. Hellscape mm. at the Hall of Fame. Oh, my God. Give it to me! Bombs now, over Bachelorettes. Here's the thing. I've got violent intentions for Thursday, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to be at Bridgestone. My dad is going to be at Bridgestone. I need all of you to be at Bridgestone. This team deserves it. 
They fought like hell all year long. And all year long, we have moaned and whined and whined about Vandy basketball sucks. Where's Memorial Magic? Where, where, where? Well, it's back. It was back against Tennessee. It was back against Auburn. It was back against Florida. It was back against Mississippi State, Kentucky. It's back. You have no excuse not to be there Thursday night. And you know what? We got practice squad guys out there. Liam Robbins is out, but you know what? I'm ready to roll if they need me. I played two years varsity. I'm in the best shape of my life. Let's go, Bears! What? Bandy! Bandy! Oh, hell yeah! There it is. Get the bridge done on Thursday. I'm not going to say it again. That's what they wanted. That that is what the people wanted. That Get was insane, and I the loved le- it. The everything about that. Was I'm insane. insane. <laughs> the build up was the best part. I mean, that was that was a chapter book right there from, from Trevor yeah. Hoolan. Get to Bridgestone Arena. There's no excuse. You you heard Trevor. Vandy will play the winner of Georgia or LSU, and then they might just face Kentucky on Friday night. You've been listening to the Door Report. For Will Byram, Trevor Hoolan, I'm Billy Derrick. We will see you all at Bridgestone Arena Thursday night. Bloodshed on Broadway, baby. Let's get it.